Welcome to the Pocono Raceway Podcast, powered by ESPN 840. I'm your host, Kevin, with... The other better Kevin. The other better Kevin? Yeah, man. Why are we doing that? I don't know. Because you told your story first? Yep. Well, that's uncalled for. Hey, man. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you invited me back, and I'm glad to be back on this podcast. I'm excited. Now you redeemed yourself. Yeah. So speaking of Kevins, though, and I told you this in the parking lot that I'd, I'd start off like this. We have two Kevins in here for this podcast. Right. And another Kevin is dominating in the NASCAR world. And I'm not trying to just jump right into to what's going on, but this is insane. Three wins in a row? Three in a row. Um, and it, and not just, I mean, the two wins that he had, you know, despite the controversy, it's impressive. Yeah. And they had to work for this last one. They, they did. It, it, it just wasn't uh, handed to him in Phoenix. They, they worked for it all day long. And man, three in a row. Can you do four? Uh, we'll see. Four car go for four. Four car go for four at his home racetrack here at Auto Club Speedway coming up. That'll be fun. All right, so we're we're back for another episode of the podcast. We are. We took a two week hiatus because um, I think the Elliott Sadler one was may may have been our best work so that far. That was pretty good. And no disrespect to Jimmy Johnson or Nick, right. but Elliott just grabbed the reins of this thing and told some amazing stories. I don't I don't laugh at many things that you and JJ do, but that podcast. <laughs> I, you're laughing at I us. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to that podcast and made sure to. Share it. Yeah, it was a good everybody. one. I thought it was a good one. Well, um, yeah, but we're back. It's not snowing right now. Not right now. It's been snowing a lot in the Poconos recently. And the crazy part about this is this is a relevant podcast because we're literally taping the day before we're hopefully putting it out. Yeah, and I think the snow has, has something to do with that, too. We were out of the office a couple of days <laughs> and plowing snow, and I'm about ready for snow to be done. Yeah, me too. I know, I know the fans love to see the racetrack. In the snow pictures and the snow videos that we put out, but I'll be honest with you, I don't want to post any more snow pictures of the racetrack. <laughs> I think it looks great too, but I think uh, I think I'm ready for cars on track pictures and 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 flowers coming up and just you know the springtime <laughs> of Pocono Raceway. Well, it's a good segue. Um, I will say it's a decent transition to go from here now talking about describing my story about yes. how I kind of moved away from the snow um, yeah. and moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina. So, so we've heard my story. We've heard JJ's story. We had Nick Dalski on here, our CEO. We've had Jimmy Johnson, Elliot Sadler. But the one story that we've missed so far to date is your story. Yep. And I mean, I think I know bits and pieces of it, but I'd love to know more on how a redheaded, tall man <laughs> with size thirteen shoes, thirteen, made his way into the NASCAR world. <laughs> Race fans, if you've never met Kevin Heaney, you've probably seen him on race weekend, and you're probably like, what is going on there? Because you always he, he runs with like a—it doesn't run. He walks with a purpose on race weekend. And it's usually to give some fan, you know, some kind of cool thing or, you know, pit passes or, you know, you're running around with the tweet up and all that stuff. But he moves, and it, it's—you got to get out of the way. Yeah. Well, so, normally I have a purpose, so there's normally stuff going on to where I got to get to. And mainly you're right. It's for the fan— Fans, you know, benefit whether, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. So, so how did it all begin? How did you come from? Where are you from? Long Island. Long Island. So, oh. so grew up in Long Island. My dad was a big race fan. Um, my first race ever was actually Pocono Raceway in, uh, I believe, it was ninety three or ninety four. I was uh, alive then. Yeah, you were alive then. Yep, that's amazing. Yep, I was alive. How old were you? In ninety three, ninety four, probably like uh, I guess three or four. Oh, we'll keep this theme going then. I, I hate you. Yeah. Um, so now J- Jimmy Johnson hates you. Now I hate you. Yeah, I already knew that. Though. <laughs> um, but I grew up not really a big race fan. Um, but when I went away to school um, up in uh, the Wilkes-Barre area, um, this is Recorded University, I took on sport management as my major and 
a lot of the the storylines that we were learning about and things that we were looking over from the marketing efforts were related to NASCAR because of the big boom they had in the late 90s and early 2000s. So knew I kind of needed an internship and luckily had some great contacts in the sport and um, was lucky enough to get interviewed by John Hendrick, the late John Hendrick, uh, Rick Hendrick's brother. And um, he was an executive at Hendrick Motorsports at the time. So in the summer of 2004, I interviewed for the position at Pocono Raceway uh, for a summer internship at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, it was supposed to be marketing related and PR related. Um, then unfortunately, the Martinsville uh, plane crash happened, and um, you know there was no way I was contacting them to find out what the deal was if I was going to have an internship or not. And um, somewhere along the line, and, and I don't know how it happened, but you know I'm pretty blessed to say that it happened. Um, John had a conversation with Rick Hendrick, Mr. Hendrick, and um, prior to the plane crash talking about a, a kid from New York that he was going to bring on as an intern. Um, and Rick remembered that. They were in New York for the Champions Banquet like they used to have it before it was in Vegas. And um, the director of marketing, Pat Perkins at the time from Hendrick Motorsports, had a conversation with my dad, who was actually a bartender in New York City, and said, you know, Rick wants your son. He wants to make good and, and make sure that he comes up. And my dad said, well, that's great. Um, but I don't know where he's going to stay for three months because it's going to be hard to get an apartment. And during that time, another segue here, um, Winston Kelly was having a drink at the bar, overheard everything that was going on and said, your son can stay with me, which was completely out of the blue and completely weird because he never, he never met you before. He's never met me or my father. Okay. Um, but he said someone back in the day helped him out, get his start in the sport, which we'll find out about here in a little bit. Um, I never asked him about that. But I did live with him for an entire summer in the summer of 2005. Um, he opened up his doors. He had a, a great second floor that, that of his condo um, in Charlotte and let me live there rent free. Um, so I probably wouldn't have a job in this industry if it wasn't for Winston Kelly. So I'm really excited that he's going to be calling in and be our guest today because without him, I, I wouldn't have been able to probably do some of the things that I did and also learn the history from Winston, a person yeah. who was so passionate about the sport. Uh, he wasn't with the hall of fame at the time. I mean, the hall of fame is still a relatively new thing. So he sh shared so much information and, and I actually gained a lot of respect and passion for the industry because of him. I mean, we had dinner three nights a week at the time. He was an executive for Duke energy, which is a huge power company in North and South Carolina. And he just was able to, I wouldn't say he tailored me a certain way, but he was just, he was so passionate about the sport and made me passionate about what I was doing. You know, I thought of it as a great internship opportunity right. with a professional sports organization that was winning championships, but I never thought that this was going to be my career. Um, so anyway, the internship at Hendrick Motorsports uh, led to a chance encounter the following summer while I was working back at Pocono Raceway out of college uh, to meet Jeff Gordon or Jeff Gordon's PR representative, John Edwards, at a restaurant that Hendrick Motorsports told me to go to because they stayed across the street from it in Wilkesbury when they came up for the Pocono races. Yes, my job, all of my opportunities have taken place in some sort of food setting, it seems like. It's a common theme with my responsibilities and <laughs> where I've gotten my opportunities, excuse me. Um, same thing with uh, Brandon eventually at, at Pocono Raceway. It happened because we were at a restaurant. But the way that it went down was I said to him, hey, I'm interested. I know who you are. I know you work for Jeff Gordon. And that led to a trip the day after the second Pocono NASCAR race to Charlotte Motors or Charlotte interviewed for a job. And I got the job on a Wednesday and that kind of catapulted my career from DuPont Motorsports doing hospitality and press kits 
to Richard Childress Racing and then coming back home to Pocono Raceway where I've been for eight years. So Winston played a pretty big role in that. But yeah, it's been a it's been a heck of a ride. That's cool. Yeah. And like you, you weren't you weren't like a fan or anything growing up like that. No, you I mean knew, I, like you knew I knew enough. Yeah. And and by enough I mean I was a casual fan, watched the Daytona five hundred. We vacationed in the Pocono sure. Mountains my entire life, so if we were up here, it was qualifying day. We'd go over right. to qualifying day. And, uh, but I, I'd imagine living with Winston then for that time that you did, you learned enough about the sport and, and then some. I didn't realize how much I absorbed until probably my job at Pocono. I didn't realize yeah. how much history I absorbed until I got into trying to really interact with a race fan. Because when I worked with Performance PR Plus, which is no longer around, but they represented DuPont Motorsports and Jeff Gordon on uh, the hospitality side. They had like 36 hospitality events a year. I interacted with fans, but they were they were fans, not necessarily the way it was. Same thing with Richard Childress Racing. It wasn't it wasn't like I was dealing with fans on a daily basis like I am in this current position. Right. So I learned kind of enough to get by for those couple of years and then started my education. But, I mean, it was like NASCAR 101, and he taught mm-hmm. it to me so – you've heard him speak. We've all heard him speak on Motor Racing Network for years. Yeah. It, the way he was able to just give me information – really tailored the way that I actually communicate with race fans. He's so passionate about the sport. He'll sit down and talk to anybody, no matter how busy he is. And you were talking about how I run around on race weekend, but you know this, we all do it. We stop, right? Right. We want to hear that fan story because that could be the next Kevin Teal. It could be the next Kevin Heaney's. Like I said, I, I can't wait to pay it forward the way he paid it forward from somebody else in his past experience in life to give that person an opportunity. And that's something cool that I've noticed too with, 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 not just with these interviews that we're doing now, but there's so many stories throughout the sport. You know, we talked about Ron Hornaday in past episodes um, of him having drivers, future drivers, sleep on his couch. It's such, at the end of the day, it's such kind of like a family thing. You know, Winston, he didn't know who you were, but he allowed you because he, he saw uh, the potential possibly to to help someone out and pay it forward, like you just said, to to stay at his house, you know, and, and give you that opportunity. And it all circles back to, to NASCAR kind of just being this this family-run sport at the end it's like Pocono Raceway we're a family-run company um, and they treat us like family there at Pocono Raceway and I think it's just uh, industry-wide that it's it's like that and you can see that you know even more relevant um, to that point you know Matt DiBenedetto DiBenedetto yep DiBurrito we might as well just call him that it's easier to say um, but he went out on Twitter because he's such a low-funded team and like he said he he's fine he had a career still going and he was going to have the entire year where he was going to get paid it's, they knew there were going to be races where they were going to struggle and you saw Denny Hamlin Michael Waltrip who else Harvick yep. jumped on board mm-hmm. and they got that whole car funded for those guys to travel out to Phoenix so like you said it's a pretty pretty great pretty great industry to work be a part of yeah and, and, uh, and there's so many cool stories like that and in yours is is, is one especially here um, in this case to, to kind of and it's cool that we're able to kind of bring it full circle here again and full triangle. Full triangle. That's as, Kevin I said, as I said in past episodes, if you haven't watched, I have to bring back. But uh, <laughs> We got to trademark that somehow. Like make t-shirts that just say, bring it full triangle, which is like a hologram photo Ooh, of you. I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> you just can't use Pocono Raceways like this to make money. Yeah. We'll we'll find a way. There's always a way. There's something. There's something there. You live with a guy who does merchandise, so... There's something there. Full triangle, full triangle. Make it happen. <laughs> Talking about the way that this family industry is. And um, there's actually, for the word of the day, 
Okay. Talking about family, because I consider Winston almost family in my my world. When we used to go out to eat, our favorite place to go, they had um, homemade hand-battered onion rings and these grilled wings, and it was called Moosehead Grill. And it's just on the outskirts of Charlotte. So I think Moosehead. Moosehead? Moosehead. You're making me hungry, man. That I sounds know. good. Moosehead will be the word. So when we, when, if he says the word Moosehead, you're okay. going to get that bell. You think he's going to do it? I think so. And speaking of which, it sounds like he's calling in right now. Let's get to the phone line, see if we can get Winston on the call. Well, speaking of people that have paid it forward, the person who has really helped me out a big part of my career, Winston Kelly is on the phone. Hi, Winston. Hey, how you guys doing today? We're doing real good. We're doing great. Um, heard you have a little bit of travel woes, and I'm sorry to hear that. We really appreciate you taking the time to give us a call. You're always always willing, it seems like, to talk to me, and that's something that um, I'm pretty proud of to call not only you uh, uh, a person in this industry I trust, but a, you know, a true friend. So thanks for taking the time. Well, a lot of people have done that for me, and uh, I'm actually stuck here in Vermont uh, coming up to help honor Ken Squire, who's somebody that uh, is in that but-for category, but for Ken Squire and founding MRN and the help that he's given me and the folks that followed him, like Barney Hall and Mike Joy that helped me so much. You know, I wouldn't be here, so uh, it's not bad being stuck somewhere for helping somebody out like Ken Squire. Definitely, definitely. Um, So the one thing that we definitely wanted to – bring up was uh, the chance encounter you had with my father and allowing a complete stranger, a college student to come and just live with you for a summer, never meeting me once. Why in the world would you do that? And I was sober when I did that. That's the amazing part. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what possessed me to, you know, I was uh, having dinner uh, where your dad worked uh, and, uh, and, and Lenny and some of the folks there knew, uh, Terry Labonte's pilot is who I was there having dinner with, with he and his wife and my girlfriend, Elaine. And uh, you got to talking to your dad, and Steve said that uh, you were going to be coming down uh, and working for Hendrick Motorsports. And uh, I said, you know, if he doesn't have anywhere to stay, let me know. He said, no, nah, he's, he's taken care of. So this is in December at the banquet. So he calls me about February and says uh, the other deal fell through. And was I really serious? Well, at that point, it's like, what am I going to say? You know, and then but what possessed me to say that? <laughs> I, I, for for I didn't know your dad either. It's not like I knew your dad, but you know, people had helped me out, and it just seemed like the right thing. And I also felt like Hendrick Motorsports wouldn't hire somebody who was a complete problem. And uh, for the most part, you weren't. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was saying about the education of my sport. You know, I kind of came in as such a, a a person who really knew such minimal stuff and the dinners that we shared together. We, I mean, like I, I told Kevin, we went out, you know, three nights a week. Um, we made sure we went out, had some wings and, and, and some beverages. And, uh, you know, you were always, you were always willing to talk to me about the sport and showed me so much that I didn't necessarily use the first couple of years out of it. But now that I'm working and have this interaction with fans, your passion of the sport and what you've taught me kind of, comes out all the time when I talk to a race fan. So um, thank you for those those encounters and, and for uh, for being a good friend. Well, I had a blast doing it, too. And, you know, and like I said, I had so many people that helped me along the way. You know, the, the first person that hired me, a guy named Hank Schoolfield, that hired me to be a statistician for the old Universal Racing Network because I just wanted to get in the sport. And then when I got involved with the Motor Racing Network, I was literally a gopher for about a year and a half from uh, early 87 uh, to the latter part of 1988. And people like 
Barney Hall and Mike Joy and Joe, excuse me, Joe Moore and other people like that. They were always so willing to share information and and teach you the the right way to do it, or at least from the Motor Racing Network perspective. And you know, there's some things there's not a right or a wrong way, but you know, the NASCAR industry, as great as it is when you're a part of it, it's not the easiest thing to get into. And it's not because of the people; it's because we're like a traveling circus. And it's not like you're getting involved in a community that everybody kind of lives together and goes to church together and things like that. So it's not the easiest industry to get involved with. And so many people helped me and uh, just felt like it was the right thing to do. Well, again, I couldn't thank you enough, and I'll thank you for the rest of my career because I probably wouldn't be sitting in this seat talking to you about this if it, you know, if, if it hadn't been for your willingness to do so. Um, but you brought up a, a pretty cool point. Um, and actually, it's pretty funny. You said those years, I don't think Kevin Teal was alive during those years. Were you, Kev? Which years? <laughs> the years that he was at 19. It was 1988 when you were on air? Uh, first got on air in 1988. I started in the sport in 1981. So, I mean, I'm old. I don't, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Because I can't change when the clock started ticking. I'm just glad it keeps ticking. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm made fun of as the, as the senior member. There's one guy on MRN that's a little bit older than I am. But, uh, you know, I hobble up and down pit road. They were teasing me this weekend about uh, having new tennis balls on my walker to get up and down t- pit road. So, you know, oh, as, as long as I'm still out there and, you know, still out there and having a good time and enjoying this industry, uh they can make all the fun they want to of me. Well, I mean, I'm just because we kid around. I mean, there might be a walker that's branded Pocono Raceway with your name on it for when you come up here in June. Ooh, there's an idea. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have fed you that. <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> at all. You know you're gonna, it's yeah, going to happen. Just, just remember, don't mess with the man with a microphone. He does get the last word in. <laughs> I got the microphone today. You're on your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, you do today, but I'll have it. I've got a national microphone, so you just remember that, big boy. I will. I will. And I don't. I don't get mad. No. I don't get even. I get one up. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I've been a part you of the. Just remember. I've been part of the one up before. The time where he said, "Yeah, yeah go ahead, no problem. One. Yeah, no yeah, problem. We're getting number one. We're getting a little bit of bad weather. Feel free to park your car in the driveway, and then you go yeah. and send my dad photos." Of the car in the driveway saying, I can't believe your punk son is parked in my driveway condo blocking my motorcycle. Hey, you know, that about got you evicted. It, you know, you were the one who told me to park there. <laughs> can't believe everything you're told. I know, apparently not. That took me a while to trust you again after that. Uh, you know, it just had to make sure your dad knew that that uh, sometimes you behaved and sometimes you didn't. Oh, I thought I was well behaved at your house. For the most Man, part, you know, and you cleaned up after the parties. I didn't even know you had them. You did such a good <laughs> job of cleaning up by, after all the parties. That was the I great. I didn't even realize you had them. I will tell you that that was the great part. And not saying that I didn't like it when you were there, but you were away so much doing the MRN stuff <laughs> that you know, of course, I had I had free reign of the house. It was a beautiful. It's still a beautiful condo. Uh, it's one of my favorite places, and and. I always try to take you up on the offer anytime I'm in town, and that just kind of shows respect that you have for for me. And um, hopefully, I respected your house good enough and cleaned up well enough for, for a couple of those parties that are not to be mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish in the, in that area. I wish I'd have bought a house. As much as I don't like I like not having a yard, the lots there have gone up so much. I invested in the wrong thing. I didn't think I'd stay there that long, but uh, you know, it was it was a lot of fun and. Uh, 
you know, look forward to you coming back down. I, I know the other week, I think it was a week or so ago, I decided to stop in our old water and hold a uh, moose head grill and get some wings and uh, and, and, on, and onion rings. There you go. I'll send you a picture of that. So. We had a uh, secret word that we had brought up on the radio uh, to see if you were going to bring up the Moosehead Grill, and you tweeted to me about it, and it made me really uh, jealous that you were at the Moosehead Grill without me. But I get it. You live so close to it. I understand. Yeah, but, you know, you're doing well there, working with a great family and a great facility, and it's a place we really enjoy going to. You know, there, there was a time when it was 500 miles it wasn't one of the most compelling races. And the thing that's so cool about Pocono is from the point that they went to 400 miles and repaved the track, most tracks, when you go through a repave, it takes three or four years for the grip to get worked in or or for it to get rubbered up, if you will, and to lose some of the grip to where the racing's good. Pocono, for whatever reason, whatever the asphalt was, from the first time it was repaved, it has been an outstanding place to go. So I used to kid back and forth with Brandon that, you know, I'll, I'll come when it suits. But uh, I look forward to both Pocono trips every year now. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, going back a little bit to your career, what eventually led you to your current role, which uh, we haven't even brought up on the podcast yet? You're the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. We know this is a very busy couple months for you with the induction coming up here in May. Um, what's, what led you to this this specific role and how that opportunity come about? Well, I guess it goes back to being involved with Motor Racing Network and having been around uh, for so long. By the time that NASCAR decided to partner with Charlotte, with the city of Charlotte, uh, and the company that I worked for, the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority, in 2006, I'd been in the industry 25 years. And they interviewed different people who all had managerial backgrounds and business backgrounds, but we were different. Some had opened and built facilities, not halls of fame, but you know, camps and stuff like that. Uh, one guy had actually uh, was and still is running one of the other sports halls of fame. And what I was told is the deciding factor is that going back to talking about the industry, that the deciding factor was they wanted somebody that understood the industry, understood the people, understood the dynamics of it, and said, you know, you can hire people that know how to operate the building, hire people that know how to do exhibits and set those up but it's harder to learn the industry and they wanted somebody that knew the history of it had the passion for it but also you know could pick up the phone and call a rick hendrick or a richard petty or richard childers and you know they'd either take your call or call you back so you know whether that was the right decision or not i think think there's probably days because i'm tend to be fairly opinionated my boss kind of scratches his head and and, and wonders about that. But, uh, you know, I've got great respect for the history of the sport, the people in the sport, uh, the NASCAR folks and the NASCAR industry. So, you know, just being involved uh, uh, in the industry, I had a great job and a great career uh, with Duke Power Company, which is now Duke Energy, and had been recruited a couple of times to go into different roles within the industry. But this one just fit because it was in Charlotte. I grew up in Concord, and because it was about the history of the sport. And and my childhood heroes growing up were the Richard Petties and David Pearsons and Junior Johnsons uh, and the Wood Brothers and people like that. So getting to be a part of helping honor their careers in the industry that I've enjoyed since I literally went to my first race when I was six years old, I just couldn't pass it up. 
Yeah. So with the Hall of Fame, and if no one, if people haven't been to the Hall of Fame, Kevin and I have both been to the Hall of Fame. It is phenomenal. If you haven't been down to Charlotte, go check it out. Uh, I know you uh, went and visited all the different Halls of Fames with all different, I mean, music and football, baseball, a bunch of other sports. Um, and you've done a great job curating and, and making that place what it is today. So uh, definitely uh, give you the as much respect and admiration for what you're doing for the history of our sport. I hired well. If I've done <laughs> one thing, I have hired good people that really have the same passion, whether it's for the sport or what they do. Our people in operations and customer service, they don't have a background in NASCAR, but they love the hospitality industry just like you guys do working at Pocono, and they love interacting with our guests. Our exhibit folks, some are very interested and engaged in NASCAR. Some just like the the process of honoring and, and doing museum-type work. So if anything, uh, I think I've, if I've done anything well, I think I've hired well and, and hopefully get out of their way when I need to. I think you've done a phenomenal job. And I, I, maybe it is hiring, but I also think it has a lot to do with your personality. Well, you know, it, when you love what you're doing, uh, you know, people know that. So, you know, that that's one of the things that's worked out. And, you know, I never had a job at Duke Power that I disliked. And I certainly love the job that I've got here. This, you know, the interaction with the fans, with the inductees, the whole process, and the industry as a whole. So, uh, enjoying doing that, and and will for as long as I can. Yeah, and and uh, I think we're you know we're all in the industry of, of fun here. At the end of the day, I think Kevin Harvick said it the other other week after the race is that you know we're we're talking about and when we're and we're showcasing you know. People driving race cars, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's the product that, that we're putting out there. So moving forward to this current season uh, right now, can anybody beat Kevin Harvick? What, what's your take so far on, on the season that uh, is going on right now? I mean, at some point in time, yeah. You know, he's not going to win the rest of the season. But, you know, I've watched this as long as I've been around this sport. And, you know, all age jokes aside, I've been working in it. This is my 38th year working in the sport. I've been around it literally since – uh, I was six years old and watching it. These cycles go and evolve, you know, whether it was the Petties and, and Richard and Maurice and Dale Inman when I first started. And then you can go to the dominance that other teams have had. It's evolved in more recent years, whether it's Hendrick Motorsports, the Gibbs, the Gibbs and Toyotas in the last few years. So I'm not saying they won't be good. I think they'll continue to be very good throughout the year, and they may have a year this year like Martin Truex Jr. did last year. But as memory serves me, the Gibbs cars didn't win until somewhere like June last year and still had a phenomenal year and had one of their drivers in the Final Four. So I think Kevin and Rodney Childers and the team are setting the bar right now and will continue to be good, but others will catch up. Uh, and interviewed yes, uh, Kevin yesterday or, or on Sunday for uh, one of our one-on-one segments. And he said, one of the things he pointed out is that the technology and the innovation comes very quickly, and you've got to try to stay ahead of it, and that others are catching up every day that they're out there. I couldn't agree more. Um, getting off the technology side and go a little bit more nostalgia here, uh, I had a question from our uh, Senior Director of Ticketing and Fan Engagement wants to know, which two Hall of Famers, past or present, would you most like to have a beer with? Just sit down, have a conversation. I know you've spoke to most, but who are two people that you just, from a fan perspective, 
that we'd all basically be even more jealous over if you've done it already or would have the opportunity to do it. NASCAR Hall of Famers. NASCAR Hall of Famers. I've, I've, I've had many conversations with all of them, and I can honestly say I can call every one of them a personal friend. There's some that I have spent more time around. I, you know, I've been on Kyle Petty's charity ride uh, six or seven times, and you know, I've spent a lot of time around the Petties and the Petty family. Richard's not a big drinker. He'll have a glass of wine every now and then, but just sitting around and talking to Richard is something that I always enjoy. Uh, have gone out to eat. Elaine and I have gone out with Junior Johnson and his wife, Lisa, you know, a couple of times a year. So I've really had the pleasure of doing that. You know, there, there's some that I don't get to see as much. Uh, you know, I'd love to, to be able to sit down again. It's probably been over a year since I've sat down with David Pearson. Uh, and David's another one I've just really enjoyed uh, a, a great relationship with. And, you know, if I'm looking at where the industry is today and where it's going, I'd probably have to say somebody like Rick Hendrick because Rick is phenomenal in putting the right people together. And you know, his car dealerships are every bit as phenomenal as his race team. And I've told folks a lot that at the Hall of Fame, if we want to emulate people in the business, we want to emulate people like Rick Hendrick, Roger Penske, and Richard Petty about how they treat people, how their organizations treat people, you know, the customer service, the interaction. Uh, so those are, those are uh, a few of the many, but uh, they're all just great folks. Well, we appreciate your time, and uh, we really hope you get back down to Charlotte here. I know that we got another winter storm coming, and I know you're stuck up there in Vermont, but of course it's for a great cause with uh, Mr. Squire. And uh, we've actually just had a conversation uh, before this in our uh, in our marketing meeting that uh, our chairwoman of the board, uh, Louie McNally, um, she uh, she's actually told me that we need to get Ken Squire on the podcast, so he's going to be the next one we reach out to, and I'm probably going to ask you for a little assistance there, if you don't mind. Uh, well, you're going to need more than 10 or 15 minutes with Ken. <laughs> Ken is the best storyteller I know, bar none. It might be a two-part. So it'd be well worth it. Great guy, but the best storyteller that I know, bar none. Well, buddy, thank you again for everything um, that you've done to help my career. You will... Uh, you have no idea, obviously, exactly the impact. I think you have a little bit, but it, it truly means a lot to me to, to call you a friend, like I said before, and I can't thank you enough for, for everything and taking your time out for this call. Well, same, same here, my friend, and uh, you just pay it forward when you have that time, and I know you will. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Winston. Yes, sir. Y'all have a great day. See you. Thanks. What do you think, Kev? That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. He talked about how Ken Squire tells stories, but like I said, man, you could see why you could be on the phone with Winston yeah. forever. Yeah, for sure. I mean that that was that was amazing to hear all those those stories. Hear those stories about now now see the stories about you. Now I'm just more intrigued. I just want to, I want to know more. <laughs> I might I might try to try to ask you more about these stories that he was just alluding to. He yep. didn't get into them, but that, that's but the history of the sport that that he sees it through um, is is amazing. I mean, it's to think about a childhood dream like he's kind of living it out. Yeah, he went from being a fan of the sport at age six. Um, I know he met. I know he didn't tell that part of the story, but I know he met Richard Petty. He got Richard Petty's autograph because Richard stayed and signed for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then now he can have dinner with the Hall of Famer, where he's an executive director of at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's impressive. He came full triangle. 
Yeah, exactly. He started out as a fan of the sport, which I always find interesting. You know, if people were a fan of the sport, like in your case, you weren't necessarily a fan of the sport. Um, and it's funny how you, you mesh those two together. Um, and, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, once you're actually in this industry, everybody's a fan in this industry. Um, but you're, it's, you're, you're such a different fan, though, once you're actually working within the sport. Um, and it's pretty cool to hear his side of the story and all, all of the, the stories that he had to tell there. Uh, I mean, when he comes back up here in June, if you're looking for, you got some some time to spend. Um, I try time. I try to I try to find him and at least uh, crack a beer with him over at the MRN trailer just to hang out, catch up, and and normally that beer turned into uh, about two beers because you just sit there and you talk for for a solid hour. So uh, couldn't be more happy with that. Um, we do have some uh, uh, plugs and promotions we got to do, right? Yeah. Don't we have some stuff that came out? We should talk about the things that, that we're doing at Pokemon Raceway real fast, if that's cool with you. Go ahead, Kev. So um, uh, Mondays, Mondays we do uh, our fan spotlight and international fan blog. We have a cool one going out. By the time this podcast airs, it'll already be out. So uh, check out Trent from Australia's uh, fan spotlight or uh-huh. international fan blog. I'm sorry. Australia. So I pro- yeah, I should probably get that posted tonight. Yes. That way that it's up when we actually air this. That would be a good idea. Right? All right, so yeah, that'll go out uh, Monday night. Tuesdays, you're, you'll be listening to this podcast here. I would hope so. I'm still laughing from the first, so keep, going. keep the plug going. Wednesday nights, we have our 33 Tricky Seconds. That comes out Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday afternoon. What do we got this week? Uh, we have Junior Motorsports. Yeah, that's a good one. It's going to be a good one. We, uh, we we had our Robert Wickens and James Hinchcliffe for, for last week's uh, with the IndyCar race being this past week. It was Robert Wickens. He almost he almost had one there. I was really hoping he was going to win. Me too. It, it was uh, it, it would have been cool for him to get a win in his first start, but you know that's racing. It's it's been going on from dawn of time. You know you you got to go for that win. And congratulations to Sebastian Bourdais though on the win um, in the IndyCar season opener. Uh, back to the plugs. Plugs. All right, back to the plugs. On Thursday, we have our Tricky Chronicles episode coming out. This one will be a good one this week if you're listening to this concurrently. <laughs> Does that work? Concurrently? Yeah, it's, it's great. Chronologically? Chronologically? I'm, I have a good face for Twitter. <laughs> Not a good face for plugging. But yeah, so those are weekly things that come out each week. So uh, definitely, you know. Weekly keep... things that come out each week. <laughs> All right, this is falling off the rail. This is why we don't do podcasts. You were talking about that place to eat, man, and <laughs> earlier in the episode, and I'm just now thinking just about hungry. food. But race fans, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back hopefully next week, if not the week after. Um, I do know that in a couple weeks we will have Robert Wickens and James Hinchcliffe together on the air. And then soon... Ken Squire will be our guest, I promise. But it might have to be a two- or three-part show. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how long, how much time we have with Ken Squire. Fans, thanks for tuning in. I think we're pretty close to 500 listens, so subscribe, like, share, retweet. Let yeah. us, let us, us know. know. Let us know what you think about the podcast and any suggestions you guys have moving forward. These are fun to do, and we'd love to hear you guys' feedback on everything that we do. PokemonRaceway.com. That's my last plug. All right, fans. Thanks so much. Enjoy this weekend's race. We'll talk to you soon.